All right, everybody, welcome back to another week. And we have a good case today. I'm going to share some insight and hopefully generate some interest and questions and things. So be sure and, and uh, let us know how you feel about it. Looking forward to getting with you. That's right. Yep. And we are so excited to have season two rolling now. And it's, uh, it's been really good so far. And we're really appreciative of all of our listeners. So for this week, I'm actually going to be talking about one of my cases and I feel like I need to go ahead and put this warning out there. This case involves things in the nature of child abuse, child pornography, child um, endangerment. So it's going to be a rough one. Uh, I'm going to talk about it because I feel like, it's good to show some insight on what police have to go through, what law enforcement sees and the things that they have to do. It's not all, you know, the glamour or the, the funny things that happen. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of bad things that law enforcement and first responders all have to see. And so this is really what this episode is going to be about today is just spreading awareness making sure everybody knows that there's a, there's a lot of evil in the world and somebody's got to take care of some of the evil things that happen, take care of those people that conduct those evil things. And sometimes we got to see things we don't want to see just so we can help others. Absolutely. And uh, my hat's off to anyone in the business used to be in the business, still in it today. Um, their job is invaluable. A lot of times it's thankless and, um, certainly, you know, it's important. So couldn't do it without them. Yep. So with that, we're going to, we're going to dive on in. All right, so today we're going to talk about a case that I've done. And uh, first, before we begin, what are you drinking anything today? I went to Mission Barbecue for lunch, so I'm drinking sweet tea. Uh, no, uh, body armor, sport water. Mm. And um, ran into it at Kroger for less than a dollar a bottle, and it's a huge. Yeah. And for less than a dollar, you can't get that in the convenience store. So yeah, got a couple of cases of it. Look at that! How athletic! Hmm. <laughs> I don't know what sport water is. Alkaline water. I don't know what that is, but alkaline. <laughs> it still tastes like water, so that's all that matters. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, yeah, there's something in there. Who knows? <laughs> Make me go with Nerd Blue. He's joined the podcast today. Oh, yeah. Blue the kitty cat. Yeah. Oh, oh, man. All right. So we're going to jump into this and I'm going to do my best to not get emotional about it. it. It it still jerks at me a little bit. And uh, so, yeah, this case started when I was in law enforcement in uh, the continental United States. 
that's where a majority of the cases that I talk about are going to happen because that's where I've done a lot of my work. But like we've said before, we don't really like to give away locations or names or things like that. So uh, this was in the U.S. And we got a call one day from a detective. And the detective was from a city that was about an hour and a half away. So she says, hey, I'm looking to talk to whoever is in your shop that does any kind of child crimes. And I said, all right, well, I can, you know, I, I'm not, I wasn't designated as the child crime person, but I handled a lot of the uh, child pornography or child abuse cases. So um, in my, in my field, we were all field agents and we take care of anything ranging from like fraud to drugs, to sex crimes, to abuse cases. Just, it, it was just a wide variety of things that we could have covered. So it's not that I was designated. I was just the one that handled them primarily. So I said, all right, well, you're talking to the right person. I see blue, the kitty cat now yep. <laughs> about to make himself comfortable. So we, you know, I, I you know, I got my note, notepad and pen, and she called. And we get calls every once in a while from outside police departments. And they were, you know, they just, they think that we run anything. So I asked the qualifying questions, basically. I had to make sure it met our, our purview of what we cover and if it was something that we would investigate. So I said, is anybody involved? associated to the department of defense and she said yes it's a airman that's based out of your uh, base there i was like all right well that that qualifies right there so go ahead lay it on me so she told me that uh this guy had come back home because he was from this area and he was stationed at the base an hour and a half away he had come back home for a weekend. He was staying the night there and he had an incident where he had a five-year-old uh, touch his genitals in the bathroom and the dad of the five-year-old found out and threatened to kill him. And so then the kid, the airman, I'll say Bob. Bob's like my, uh, if your name is Bob, I apologize right now because Bob seems to be like my go-to like bad guy name, nothing against Bob. I just, it's an easy name for me to remember. So I will, I'll, I'll say Bob this one more time and then I'll try and make up different names just so I don't offend any of my Bobs out there. So Bob uh did this and then once he was being threatened by the dad he decided to come back to the base like he left home came back to the base where he was that was his residence was on base and so that's all we knew and so she said that she wanted to talk to bob on base and so i had to talk to my leadership make sure everybody was on the same page and come up with like a game plan on what we we're going to do. Now the detectives had already talked to the victim. So the victim, she already gave them the story and 
everything that happened. They talked to the dad briefly. Um, they did like what's what's called like field interviews where like you get to the scene, you talk to whoever's there, whoever may have seen the crime or been a part of it. And then you kind of go from there. So the detectives did that at their because that's their town that they were in. They did that and then they made their way back to or they they called us to try and make their way to the base. So once we discussed it with the detectives, we came to the conclusion that the detectives could come to our base. They would use our interview room and they would interview him in our office. So is that a requirement? Like when you do that with uh, military, it has to be in that environment or are they allowed to take them off? No, no, they can. So the way it happened was it happened in their town. So naturally or kind of by default, it was in their jurisdiction. It was their case. And so the only way that it would become our case is if they relinquished the case to us. Okay. So at the time they were still taking the case. They were, they were running with it. So they didn't have to do it at our office. They just knew that we would have more capability of getting him into the office yeah. instead of like them calling him and saying, Hey, can you drive an hour and a half up here so you can come talk to us at the police station? It's just like, it wasn't the best way to go about it. So the best way was to come to the base, work with us, liaison with us to get him into the office and talk to him there. So that was the game plan. They came to the base. We got them on. We got them past our security forces, and we escorted them on base to our office. And so we came up to, you know, we came up to the interview room, and we asked them. We we're like, "All right, so what is your plan? Are you going to read him his rights? Are you going to like what are you planning on doing?" And their strategy was to do a non-custodial, and so non-custodial means that. They were going to tell him that he did not have to stay for the interview and he did not have to answer questions and he could leave at any time. That was their plan. I, we did not like that. <laughs> we didn't like it because it just, it, it leaves such a gap open for the defense to play with. So there's just so many things that the, like a defense team, a defense lawyer team could could go with like, oh, he didn't know what was going on. He thought this was a simple interview. He didn't know he was being interrogated. All these different things. It could it could just open the door to all these things. Where if you have your rights read to you and you decide to waive your right to counsel, then you can. There's no there's no getting around that. Like you clearly waived your rights and that was it. Yeah. So. They wanted to do that, and so we got him over to our office. We had what's uh, called a first sergeant. Uh, it's the best way I can describe it is like a first sergeant is like a dean to the school, so like the dean of students essentially. You got like the principal who's the commander. You got the vice principal who's the superintendent, and then you have like the first sergeant who's the dean of the of that school or squadron. So the first sergeant brings him over and he comes into the room and they tell him, they're like, hey, you don't have to talk to us. You don't have to answer any questions. You can leave whenever you want. We just want to ask you a few questions about 
and then they said the victim's name and um he just he started talking he started talking about the whole incident he uh his version of the story was that he was in the bathroom and she came in to the bathroom and she wouldn't like she she just wouldn't leave him alone he was trying to you know use the restroom um and he she just wouldn't leave him alone so he's sitting on the toilet telling her to go away and she insisted on things like telling him about his about her bike or telling him about like hey i need to brush my teeth and he was of course he was saying like no no this isn't a good time this isn't the right time and so it it wasn't true but at the time that's what that those detectives got those detectives got the story of she came in there she wouldn't leave him alone she kept trying to like touch him and he can't he couldn't get her to go away and then when her dad came home she said uh you know i was in the bathroom with bob and i had to touch his private part and so he was like it's just a big misunderstanding blah 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 so that was the initial intake that was the the story that he had started with so ages are we talking about here uh the bob was 20s mid or no early 20s yeah early 20s and the victim was five and what's the connection between bob and this victim and her dad okay so the victim and her dad were staying at bob's parents house and okay they were staying there because they were in a hard time and they didn't have anywhere else to go so they were just kind of staying there for a little bit until they got they had just moved from like i don't know los angeles or something like that okay. and so they were just out what brought them all together into the same roof in the first place right right so they were just staying there for a couple of weeks and bob's parents just happened to let them in and let them stay there okay. so bob oftentimes would go home and and see his family and everything and so this wasn't the first time that he had been home like went to visit home and they were there so he knew they were there he knew that was that was part of the deal okay so um we when the detectives were done they were they said like hey we got everything we need we're we're done and so we kind of questioned it we were like hey are you going to ask any other questions are you going to dig a little bit deeper and they were like nope we got everything we need and so um they did and i think they did end up asking a couple of questions and he kind of danced around it a little bit more um but the the main thing was he he was not his in his mind he was innocent he wasn't trying to do anything weird he wasn't trying he wasn't guilty of anything okay he was just like yeah she came in there she kept trying to like look at my junk and kept trying to get her to go away and he didn't she, think to lock the door or anything uh, apparently didn't have any locks so yep then we decided hey we have him here already let's go ahead and talk to him 
And so the thing about military is when you're on base and you get essentially ordered to go into our office. So like if your first sergeant comes and says, hey, we're going to this place, that is an order. So technically they are um, in confinement. They are considered uh, in confinement and cannot leave because they have been ordered to go there. Okay. That is from an old case study, um, case law from back in the day, and it proved to be, you know, what it is. So the military has ruled that if they're in our office, they are considered to be in confinement. So they are... Um, they're in custody. Sorry, I kept saying confinement. I meant custody. So they're now, it's custodial, where before with the detective, it wasn't custodial. But the fact that you switch gears and you guys are now asking the questions, it becomes custodial because of the order to go in? Yeah. So technically, they, he was told to go there, but because they told him, you don't have to talk to us, you don't have to stay. In their case, like in, in their, if they had taken it to their uh, prosecution, it would have been fine because they would have said, yep, he wasn't in custody. He was told he could leave. No harm, no foul. In the military, if we talk to anybody and they are subject to an investigation, they are going to be considered uh, in custody if they are in our office. Now, if we were to go and meet them somewhere, it'd be a little bit different, but because we were we had him brought there and he was in our office he was in custody okay so we go in we read him his rights and he waived his rights his right to counsel he did not stay quiet he decided to talk to talk to us and so we started asking questions so some of the things that we talked about were kind of reiterating what he had already told the detectives, but then we started diving into it more. So then we started saying like, well, what did she do when she was in the bathroom? Oh, she, she kept trying to look at my junk. Okay. What did you do? I told her to leave. Okay. But here's the thing. She's saying that she touched it. So what how are you explaining that one and so he's like well okay she touched it she she was curious and she wanted to touch it and so then we get to the point where we find out and i'm telling you this is going to get rough so then we get to the point where we find out that he was trying to masturbate while he was in the bathroom it wasn't just to go in there to use the bathroom it was to masturbate and so we started asking questions about that well why are you masturbating while there's a five-year-old in the room i just was trying to do i was trying to get it done as quickly as possible and she wouldn't leave okay but why why are you doing that while she's in there well it was just he, he had a, he had an excuse he had a well for something anything that we asked he had some kind of well response not a good response but it started with well so then he finally we finally get him to admit that he had her 
um, perform the action of masturbating on him. So he had instructed her how and what happens when boys do that to themselves. So he was just telling us how he was trying to instruct her and to educate her on how these things work and how bodies work. And so that was his cover. We finally dug down deep enough to finally figure out that he was trying to instruct her on how to do these things and how to make these things happen. And that she really never came in talking about her bike or brushing her teeth or any of that stuff. She just came in because she wanted to know what he was doing. She was fascinated with him. She saw him as like kind of like a bigger brother because she didn't have any siblings. Like she saw him as like somebody that would hang out with her. So, I mean, and so thinking about it from child's perspective, you know, children don't know they're, they're innocent. They don't know any difference. They don't understand that stuff. Like my, my kids are young. And whenever somebody comes over and goes to the bathroom, they just think it's like an open party. Like you just walk right in and everything's great. Yeah, because we all stood around you guys to get you to do it when we were training you to go. <laughs> yeah. I, right. Yeah. So, like, everybody's going to watch me go to the bathroom. I'm going to go watch people go to the bathroom. Yeah, like, that's their mindset. Doing it. Yeah, doing it wrong. They don't know any different. Don't Where's know your anything. Cheerios at? What do you got to shoot at? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Bringing in a cup of Cheerios. This yeah. goes in there. Yeah. Here, I'm here to help you. I'm going to throw yeah. the Cheerios in so you can practice. Yeah. So for anybody that doesn't understand what we're talking about, that's like a potty training technique where you put Cheerios or something into the toilet and they can like aim and that's how they learn how to go to the bathroom and lock and load. That's right. (laughs) So yeah, they just think it's like an open invitation at the party. So this girl, the, the victim, you know, she didn't know any difference. She didn't know what was going on. She thought she was learning how boys go to the bathroom. That's what she thought. And so she she knew terms for, you know, a boy's or like for male genitalia. She knew she knew like roundabout terms for what it's called. And so when during her interview with the detectives, she kept saying like, yeah, he tried to get me to touch his. I I don't even remember the word she used, but his private part or whatever. So, um, so she knew, she knew exactly what he was trying to get her to do. And she remembered and she recited it and she knew all the stuff. So, and then, and then she also knew that stuff would come out of the private part. So she knew, she knew all this stuff. He told her exactly everything to do. I don't think this happened. He, at first he claimed that he was in there for like 40 minutes trying to go to the bathroom to try and take a dump while she just kept coming in and out. I think it all happened in about five minutes. Cause I don't think, I mean, he could have brought her in there for all I know. I don't, I don't know that part. We didn't get that part out of the interviewing, but we do know that she was in there and that he had taught her how to do this stuff. And so it's one of those things where, because we had what the child said, we were able to use that in the interview with him to be like, hey, I think you're lying about her going in to brush, brush her teeth. I think she went in there and you try to get her to jerk you off. 
And so that's where we, we slowly peeled back the onion of everything that was going on. We slowly figured out what all was going on with it. Once we finally established that, uh, we concluded the interview. We told his first sergeant everything that was going on and that he was to be kind of monitored, so to say. It's, again, not, not one of those things where we just put him in jail. Uh, this is military where they go back to work, but they're under supervision from their, from their base commander or whoever. Was well, that going to involve the... And we have certain areas they can go and have to have somebody with them. Or so them. that is all commander discretion. So the commander can decide. <clears throat> now, there were some factors in play, like his car was no longer running, so he didn't have a, a real opportunity to leave. But his commander did decide to bar him from leaving the base. So he was confined to the base, which is essentially a form of confinement, but it's not like... It's not like he's in jail or anything like that. He's just confined to the well, base. I've been on your base before and a couple other bases before. And mm -hmm. I go to leave, you know, there's not a whole lot of stopping and checking and running names or anything. How are the guys at the gate going to know if he decides he's in a car or something and they're just driving out? How will they know? Do they stop every car that leaves to check a list? No, no. So going out, there's not, unless there's like a heightened level of security for some reason, there's no reason that they'll stop cars from leaving the base, but they check cars that come into the base. And so all the commander has to do is coordinate with the security forces and say, hey, if this guy gets his ID scan coming on base, then let me know. Because that shows he's left base, now he's coming back. But the problem is, if he was confined to the base, the horse is already out of the barn. If he's coming back in, you find out, oh, he left base. Well, I thought the intent was to hold him on base. Right. So, the, so there would be regular scheduled checkups. His first sergeant would call him and be like, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? And his first sergeant would ask these questions, find out where he's at. And so the first sergeant is in charge of looking into all these things. But <laughs> if he did leave base, then there would have to be, um, like, that's when it's like, okay, well, we know that you left base, and we know that you came back. We know you left base, and now we know that you have come back on base. We need to talk about this. And then he would either confine him to just his dorm room or he would just confine him to uh, whatever. If it kept getting worse and worse, that's when like, okay, we're going to put you in temporary holding and security forces, or we're going to take you to the local police department jail, local county jail. Well, it definitely seems like there's some latitude there, but that's okay. I guess uh, it's procedure. Or whatever so it's just one of those things where case law military case law has proven different things and one of those things is that the commander has the ability to confine someone give somebody an official order to stay on base and so if let's say the official order was broken and he left base that's another like thing that can be added to his his punishment is that hey you violated a direct order that's a violation of article 92 now we're going to be giving you punishment based on that as well. 
I would not want to be the commander that has to be questioned by the attorney of some new victim. And you say, well, I told him to stay on the base, you know, and now we have a new victim. I would not want to be that commander. So I don't know. I I don't know. And maybe that's why I never was a real good person's crime detective. I just, you guys aren't armed in there when you're questioning, are you? You had to check your guns at the door. Yes. I would have locked and loaded on. That'd been a rough one. Yeah. A rough one, man. Yeah. Like I said before, you know, I'm grateful for you guys that can do it and stay within the parameters necessary to get a conviction. But boy, that's a rough one. That's rough. Oh, yeah. It's it's a tough one because, like you said, you know, we want to, deep down, we're like, we're freaking out. We're like, are you serious? Like, you seriously did this? But on the outside, we have to stay calm and collective. And, um, you know, we have to make sure that we get what we need before we start like kind of showing our feelings and everything like that, which we don't show our feelings in investigations because we stay, we, we stay neutral. We just collect facts and that's it. We don't, we don't put our input in anything. None of our reports have our input. None of our interviews really have our, our opinions or anything like that. So it's, uh, it's tough, but it's what you got to do to get the job done. So that's what we train and focus on doing. Yeah, it, had you not exercised the restraint necessary to see this case through uh, all the ugly details, then you probably wouldn't be as successful in getting the prosecution. And I get that. I do. I just, right. you know, like anybody else, I guess, having kids yourself, maybe being a former kid yourself, I'm going to go loopy on this guy, man. Right. I mean, Honestly, I'd be he'd be pulling his teeth out of the end of the table before it was over. I just couldn't, I just couldn't, I can't take that. I can't, um, I only had one case similar to that. And the guy's pretty much the same kind of thing. Only he said, you know, well, she wanted me to do this to her. And I just about lost it to the point that, you know, I was asked to leave the room and my commander sat me down and said, I don't think sex crimes is the, you know, area of your expertise. It's not. I'm used to stupid dopers and this and that and the other thing, but, you know, but uh, hats off to all you guys for being able to do that. So yeah. you've got him, you've questioned him. Uh, the c- civilian cops are gone now or were yep. they there during that part? No, they left. Um, and so they left and then I kind of skipped ahead. So I talked about how like the base commander had confined them to the base and everything, but I forgot to mention when we started going into um, some, some search, some consent to search his room and things like that. Now, do they have the same rights as civilians where you need a search warrant to get into the electronics in the room and all that kind of stuff or being on base? Is it a free for all? So the only if we get consent we can do whatever we want because they gave us consent so um it's when we want to keep something and not have to worry about him retracting his consent is when we need to get a warrant all right everybody so this case is actually a pretty long one so it's going to be two parts so this week you learned about how 
this whole thing unfolded and how I was uh, in an interview room with him and how we got the confession and uh, stuff like that. So next week we'll be talking about the things that occurred after the interview, which all you guys that are on my side of the fence and are really antsy right now, grab your favorite pistol and be sure and come join us next week so we can dive into the rest of this and uh, get to the, all the facts and the, and the good work, the extensive investigation that they had to do to get this creep. So. Yeah. Yeah. So join us next week. Cause it's, it, it gets, it gets more crazy. It gets more wild. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll be talking about that. It's going to be, don't worry. I mean, it, it turns out, so I know some of our cases have turned out to where it's like nothing really happened. Something happens in this one. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'll, I'll spoil that little bit of it. Like something does happen. So. Somebody call Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, man. Well, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, we are so grateful, like I've said, to have you on the show and listening to us. Uh, if you like it or if you have any comments or anything go leave us a review we're on apple spotify uh, all all the major platforms and even some of the smaller platforms too so go leave us a review go check out our facebook page go check out our instagram we're, we're on there as well and let us know if uh, there's something that you want to hear about or if there's uh, anything that you think would be would make for a good episode all right Sounds good. I can't wait. All right. See y'all next week.